You may be seated. Thank you for, um, for your prayer there this morning. <clears throat> well, it's great to be with you during this Advent season. And Advent is just a fancy way of saying arrival. And it's the season every year where we prepare our hearts to celebrate the historical truth that Jesus came into this world uh, as our Lord and our Savior. And we're continuing in our series that we've entitled Long Expected Hope. Now, hope, by its very definition, is the expectation, the certain expectation uh, that, that what we're hoping for will be fulfilled. So we, we hope in many things in, in our lifetime. Some of them are, are things that we should be hoping for. Some of them maybe not. Um, I've asked the help of uh, my grandson, Tommy, to help me with the illustration on this point. Have I mentioned that I've become a grandfather? Uh, I've been here before. So there's Tommy. Um, he's, he's our first. This was his first Thanksgiving, and he had this neat little outfit that we decided to make me one. Um, and, his, and so I'm on my 60th. Now I know why Jim Keller shares pictures of his grandchildren all the time. This is great. So more will be coming. Uh, I'm happy to show you pictures afterwards that anybody wants to line up and, uh, and watch afterwards. Uh, I'll show you Tommy pictures. 60 Thanksgivings. All right, I'm from Detroit, Michigan. All right, so do you know, anybody here, what happens with significance of Detroit every Thanksgiving? Anybody? Football, Football that's right. Every year we get served up at 1 o'clock on Thanksgiving for 60 years a definition of football mediocrity. All right, I have been watching the Lions my whole lifetime in just agony. All right, of the 32 NFL teams, there are four to have never won a Super Bowl, or uh, never gone to a Super Bowl, excuse me. And uh, Detroit, you can't win it if you don't go, and Detroit has never gone. All right, and so this year, I uh, have my heart uh, broken yet one more time. As I was doing that picture, I was actually thinking about my son, Michael, who now is old enough uh, to realize that he's adopted dad's teams like the Detroit Lions and the Michigan Wolverines. And, uh, and as we were getting trounced in one of these games, he said, thanks a lot, dad. <laughs> thanks for making me a Lions fan. And I thought, oh no, I'm gonna do that to Tommy. So we gotta get this done, Detroit Lions. I'm running out of years. I've only already done 60. Don't know how many I got left. Hope can be a good thing, right? When the object of our hope is reliable. When we put our hope in things that aren't reliable, we can be let down. What we put our hope in determines whether we were fulfilled or disappointed. Now, we just read the story of, uh, of Christmas. I was going to say Easter. Easter's coming in a few months. We just read the Christmas story. Um, and Luke conveys it so beautifully, so tenderly. And, and, I, and I just love it. But we've got to remind ourselves of what's going on here. Miriam is of the nation of Israel, and they were a oppressed people, and they have gone now 400 years, a very long period of time, where God has said nothing through his prophets. The last prophet was Malachi, and now there's been silence, and the silence gets broken in that he sends his angel Gabriel to speak first to Zechariah, and now uh, as it's recorded as we're studying this morning, to Mary. 
And it's just fascinating to see her response. And I just love that as Gabriel announces to this little girl what's about to happen in and through her body, she says, I am the Lord's bondservant. Be it done to me according to your word. There's so much about this story that I absolutely love. Uh, what I love is, again, to see her embrace her God's call for her on her life. She's willing to trust God, knowing full well what it's going to cost her. She was under no illusion that this would be easy, and yet you see in her absolute trust, absolute hope, and confidence in the face of something that's going to be very, very difficult. Consider the circumstances. This is first century Palestine, way different than our culture is here today especially in the way women were viewed in that society. Women in that society were viewed as property, first of the father and then of the husband. They could actually be given in business transactions as kind of a commodity, if you will. And there was really no, if any, very much, not very much of an identity. And so Mary is in this culture and she is engaged to be married. She's betrothed to Joseph, but they're not married yet. And so when she becomes pregnant, it's clear to everybody that this is before the wedding day. All right. Sometimes in little corners of our culture, that might bring a raised eyebrow. In their culture, it was the letter, scarlet letter that you would never want. It was full of shame and derision and rejection, out and out rejection by all of society. And so in the midst of this gravely serious thing, Mary, knowing she's going to receive this scarlet letter, that she, we know her to be righteous, but the society she lived in, they didn't know that. Right? They didn't know that God was doing a miracle in her. In fact, she would be known as the mother of a bastard child. We see this in John chapter 8, when Jesus is engaging in one of his dialogues with the Pharisees, and you can just feel the blood pressure of the Pharisees going up. They're getting angry with Jesus, and they pull out this card. They said, at least we're not illegitimate children. And the clear implication is like you. And so society knew, and Mary had to wear the scarlet letter uh, as the woman who was being rejected by society. To this, she says, I am the Lord's bondservant. Be it done to me according to your word. She also knew that she would likely accept the loss of Joseph's love. The scripture says Joseph loved her. But she understands the possibility, indeed the probability, that he will divorce her. And therefore, she would not only be bearing the shame of society, but she would go through poverty with her child as well. To this, she says, I'm the Lord's bondservant. Be it done to me according to your word. Mary must even accept the possibility of her own lawful death. In Deuteronomy, it calls for the death of stoning or by stoning of a woman who has committed Mary's perceived sin. And to this, she says, I am the Lord's servant. Be it done to me according to your word. Where did this 15-year-old girl develop such character, such a knowledge of God, such courageous faith at such a young age? I'm encouraged by this, by the way, for you young people in the audience this morning. You don't have to be old to be spiritually mature. You can actually become quite 
spiritually mature at a young age. We see it time and again in scriptures. And just because we're old physically does not necessarily mean we've grown spiritually. You see, the spiritual life is something we cultivate. It's something that we have to engage in a process of pursuing God and pursuing the knowledge of God. And Mary spent her youth cultivating this deep relationship with God. She understood the scriptures. She understood who God was and how he worked in history, how he worked with his people. We see this in the song that's recorded. It's actually going to be shared about next week. And the following verses after uh, the passage that we read this morning in verses 46 through 55, Mary breaks out in song. And we see through that song this deeply developed concept of who God is, what he's really like, and what he's up to in the world. And I love that she has developed that at such a young age. Mary knew that whenever God wanted to work in history, and this is still true today, he always involves his people. And so Mary was able to say yes, not because she knew it would be easy. In fact, she knew the scriptures. Oftentimes it's difficult. And so this stands as a lesson for us in our society, especially today, because we Growing up in America cannot help but kind of get this confused sometimes. And I think all of us at one level or another can be susceptible to this. When we hear God's blessing, we think easy life. And that's the way it's supposed to be. What comes to mind when I say blessing? A lot of times we think a life that's fulfilling, a life that's got things going my way, a life that's kind of hitting on all cylinders and, 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 and it's easier, right? We get this idea that we're entitled to this. But where is that in the Bible? It's not there. But we constantly hear the voice of our civilization and it's an uphill Battle. Everything's instant. Everything's tailored to our wants and our needs and our comfort. And it can lead to a false perception of who Jesus really is. It can, we, we kind of get this blended, blurred view of him. We take the stuff that's true and we really like his love, his grace, his salvation. But we want to kind of mix that in with where he's going to make me happy, wealthy, and wise and, and all those things, right? And that is just not true. So when it turns out that we face the difficulties of life, we Christians in America are highly susceptible to having a crisis of faith where we feel abandoned by God. I guess God isn't all that powerful, or maybe God doesn't really love me that much when the marriage is going through the difficulties that it is, and sometimes they end up on the rocks. When our children went wayward, when we've poured everything we know into them, when they didn't get better, when illness came. And so when we go through these times, it can challenge our faith. It happened to me. When I was 40 years old, and you can tell by the picture I'm 59, right? Because if this is my 60th Thanksgiving, I'm 59. Um, that uh, almost 20 years ago now, uh, I was diagnosed with triple coronary heart disease at the tender age of 40. And over the next five years, I went in and out of surgery 12 times. Uh, it was tough. And it was tough not only physically and emotionally, but I, I have to confess, it was tough spiritually. 
I really had some defense. I knew too much to think that God doesn't exist, but I felt abandoned by God, and I had to work through that. And during those years, I sort of just wanted to keep God at arm's length because God was scary. Where are you, God? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? I don't want to wrestle with my mortality at this age. And so it was a fight. Now, the good news is, and I can't exactly tell you how I got there, somewhere along the line, I came to peace with the idea that he's in control, not me. And that if my heart's going to beat as long as he wants it to, not one beat more, not one beat less, and I have to be okay with that, and I got to the place where I was. But the reason it was hard is because at one level, I had bought into the lie that people that sacrificed their careers to go serve Jesus around the world like I was doing somehow are immune to getting sick. I didn't believe that really, but when it hit me, that's what I had to wrestle with, right? And I had the crisis of faith with God. You see, because we think serving God, or I thought serving God with, uh, in ministry, my life was going to be a little bit easier, and it's just not true. So when Mary says yes, it's not because she's putting her hope in the idea of an easy life. In fact, she knows it to be the opposite, but it didn't matter. Her hope was in God, and she knew that whatever she would have to go through, God would be with her, and he would be enough. She had developed that part of her spiritual life. Her soul was rich because her soul knew the God of the universe. And so she had great joy in the midst of this call. I think that's a good example for us, don't you? We need to take this lesson with us that God, no matter what we go through, is with us. And we should say yes to him. The next thing I learned from Mary's response is that hope is not the absence of questions. Hope is not the absence of questions. Faith doesn't mean we won't ask questions. And asking questions doesn't necessarily mean a lack of faith. I mean, it certainly can mean that. Uh, from last week's story, Zechariah, when, when he uh, was visited by the same angel, Gabriel, six months earlier, um, you know, he... he he didn't respond like Mary did. Now, some translations show that, show that Zechariah's question and Mary's question are almost identical, but they, they couldn't be more different. Now, Zechariah, again, is an elderly man who's a priest and he's serving God faithfully, but he went through year after year after year of unanswered prayer, bitter disappointment, where the God of the universe, Yahweh, who I serve, didn't show up again and he didn't answer my prayer because he didn't give me a son. And so his wife, now in her elderly years with barren womb, had given up hope. And here the angel who serves at the right hand of God comes and announces to him, you have God's favor. He's heard your prayers and he's going to give you a son. And, and, and I sort of get it. He wrestled with believing him in that moment. And so Zechariah's question shows a lack of faith. He basically says, prove to me this is going to happen. You almost feel like he's saying, please don't let me down again, God. I mean, I've been on my knees so many times I can barely count, and, and, and I want to believe, but I'm afraid to believe. And to this, the angel says, because you didn't believe, you're going to sit down and be quiet, and you're going to have to watch um, 
but God in his tenderness answered his prayer. And I love that. Even in his unbelief, he received the blessing. He received a son and, and his wife's shame was over. And, and God wants you to know that even in your wrestling, bring him your questions. Bring him the thing that you don't understand. And God wants to hear it. Now, I love that Mary came to the Lord. Her question does not show a lack of faith. It was actually more her saying to God, not saying to him, prove it. She's actually just saying, okay, but, but how? How is this gonna happen? I mean, I'm a virgin and I have some sense of reproductive biology. And, and so how's this gonna happen? Mary already believes him. She's already decided to trust him. She already knows that God is a God of miracles and he can cause a virgin to conceive a child. She just wants to know, how's that gonna happen? And so this reminds us, this part of the story, that no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're in right now, I want you to know, God wants you to bring your questions and he wants you to know he hasn't left you, he hasn't forsaken you, especially when it's hard. It's not evidence that God is against you. It's actually an invitation for you to come to him. Does that make sense? God knows it's gonna be hard. His promise is not that it'll be easy, but that he'll be with you. The last lesson that I take away from, from this story is that the ultimate blessing for our lives is discovered in the story. Here it is. The ultimate blessing for your life and my life is in saying yes to living for him. You were created for him. It's why he gave you a body. It's why he gave you a mind. It's why breath is in your lung and blood is coursing through your veins right now. And yet the tragedy is so many people go through life not aware that this is why they were created. And so they look high and low for something to fill that thing in them that they know hasn't quite been fulfilled. You see this in Mary's response in her song. In verse 46, she says, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior. She is just brimming overflowing with joy that just can't be contained. Have you ever experienced that with God? I mean, that's true living, to be able to be before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and to have that place where you just know, I get to worship him. I get to experience him. I get to know him. This 15-year-old girl was a woman of incredible faith. And I love that. She learned the profound spiritual lesson that we exist for him and the invitation for everybody here is we should all live into that. To live a life of worship, to live a life of trusting and hoping in God. Now, one of the challenges in our society is that we're so busy and we're so active and we have so many options on where and how we're gonna use our time that we barely get around to the spiritual part of our lives, right? Especially during Christmas season. How ironic is that? Oh my goodness, come Thanksgiving, 
We run out, we get the tree, we usually can't find the stand, so we gotta scramble to go buy a new one. And uh, someday I'm gonna find 15 stands somewhere in my house, right? All right, and then I pull down the 14 boxes of Christmas stuff and Jill transforms our house into this Christmas wonderland. And then you start making this lists and the family e-blast going back and forth. I want this and this and we're buying and we're scrambling and then we're wrapping all the gifts and, and, and then we do Christmas together and in between all the parties and then we clean it all up and tear it all down. And come January 1st, it's like, <laughs> I need a vacation from my holiday, right? My goodness gracious, how we know how to keep ourselves busy in our culture. My friends from Latin America and Europe, when they come to America for the first time uh, and they get to experience our culture for the first time, I've had almost to a person them say, wow, you guys are busy. We barely have any margin in our life for relationship, for community or for developing this deeper part of our soul, this part of us that was meant to be in relationship with God. All right, and so this is something I'm really glad that you're here this morning because I get you for uh, 30 minutes and I get to invite you to wrestle with these questions that we a lot of times are so busy we never slow down long enough to wrestle with. Who am I? What am I here for? When I look back, what am I gonna be glad I gave my life to? Have I cultivated my relationship with God? Sometimes we have the discipline to ask these sort of questions on our own. Other times God helps us to ask these kinds of questions by bringing challenges into our life. Recently, uh, a series of these types of challenges have come into my life and I've gotten to face them again. Uh, this time it's been great to be able to just embrace them as part of God's work in my life. The first one is uh, about a month ago now, my daughter was in a really severe car accident. She was heading east on I-10 and there was a young man heading west on I-10 and he came across the median and she didn't see it. She was going 70 miles an hour and he took her out head on. Um, he died instantly in the crash and uh, somehow Katie survived that crash. She's got a long recovery ahead of her. She's, um, the prognosis is good, but it's gonna be a long road. Life could be so different this morning um, in, in just a blink of an eye. And so that kind of was going on in the midst of all of that. Um, I had a, a series, like multiple um, appointments with doctors where they were giving me some news that wasn't very good. Um, it looks like there's some new challenges uh, surfacing in the old ticker here in the old heart. And, uh, and so uh, none, of th none of them are imminent, but it's certainly something they told me they're gonna have to keep a close eye on and they're gonna result in ending up having to go and, and fix some stuff in there. Um, so I'm gonna go back in for another oil change, here we go. Um, they also found a protein in my blood that's not supposed to be there. And so um, kind of nerve wracking because they sent me to an oncologist. And uh, as it turned out, the good news, I just uh, ended up seeing the oncologist last week uh, on Thursday, and they've decided that it is not cancer. So that is good. Um, again, something though they wanna keep an eye on in the days and the months and the years ahead. Some pretty heavy stuff. In my group this week with uh, the Summit Connect group I'm a part of, I'm in with a bunch of guys and, um, 
And we were talking about this, and, and what came to mind for me was a verse in Samuel where David had a really low point of his life, a real difficult point. It says about David that he strengthened himself in God. Man, do I love that. And so the question I had for the group is, what do you do to strengthen yourself in God? Do you know how to access the grace of God that you need to help you in your time of need? Have you cultivated those abilities? Because life is going to come at you. You're going to have some news that isn't the best and easiest news. And what's that going to do to your relationship with God? Do you know how to strengthen yourself with God? And so for me, one of the ways that I do that and have traditionally been able to do that is nature is just a big part of an invitation for me to worship God and to connect with him. Uh, bring me in the mountains or put me out by water or put me in fall colors, right? I'm from Michigan. I used to experience fall. This thing we've got going on right now, we're, do you know we're at peak season right now in Florida? Like we're driving down the road, oh, there's one. <laughs> And I was like, wow. I want, I want you to imagine if you've not experienced it, just hillsides of just vibrant color. Well, the other thing that helps me is being alone in a car. Um, maybe because I don't sing that great um, and I can just let it rip and God doesn't care that I sound horrible. All right, he just is looking at my heart. And, and so I got this gift of the Lord in the midst of all of this uncertainty. Uh, I went up to a game for uh, my son, Michael, at Virginia Tech. And, uh, and so I flew into Charlotte and drove the four hours through the mountains of North Carolina and Virginia during peak week. It was awesome. It was just what my soul needed. Pulling around a corner and there, this vibrant yellows and oranges and reds. And just, I was smiling literally from ear to ear. It was just a great time. And with all this uncertainty over my, hanging over my head, I just said, you know, Lord, here we are again. Um, but I'm at peace. And I actually feel a lot of joy. And I'm going to do the very thing that I know to do in this moment. And the, the thing that I know you created me for. You gave me this body, this mind, this mouth to worship you. So that's what I'm going to do. And so I'm driving through the mountain and I'm singing these songs. Now, I came from a group that used to sing scripture songs. We would put music to scripture. It was a great way to memorize the scriptures. Now, some of the songs were a little hokey. They wouldn't show up on Z88 as kind of the coolest Christian song lately. You know, uh, you know they would take a vowel and they would extend it forever, like pray, hey, hey, without ceasing. Hey is not in pray, but somehow we did it, right? But I know 1 Thessalonians 5.16. All right, because of it. And so I'm singing these scripture songs that are coming back to mind, just having a great old time with the Lord. And, and, and as I'm going along, there's this one song in the back of my mind that I couldn't remember. It was a contemplative, prayerful song. Uh, got a little bit of a melancholic streak to it. And, and I wanted to sing that to the Lord. I couldn't remember it. So I went to the game. And after the game, I caught a hotel pretty close to the stadium. And uh, next morning, I woke up to continue my drive. And, and I'm scrolling through Facebook. Now, there's a group that has formed of former college students that used to go to our conferences. And there was an entry in my phone where the lady now had posted. And she says, do you remember how we used to sing scriptures as a part of this group? She goes, this is my favorite. It was the song I was looking for. I was like, are you kidding me? I just broke out laughing out loud. And I said, Lord, you're just showing off now. 
I got to sing that song to the Lord as I continued my drive. I was just so thankful. See, what God did, he didn't say, Jeff, I'm gonna take this away. What he said is, I'm here. I'm right here with you. I haven't forgotten you. Continue to trust in me. So in the quietness of my heart, I said, thank you, Lord. You know that I'm at peace. My life is in your hands, and I'm okay with that. So I'm going to keep going after your call as long as my heart keeps beating, as long as there's breath in my lungs, and I want it no other way. These are gifts, you guys. I call these thin spots between earth and heaven where we get to experience God, where we get to experience the presence of of our creator and to sit in the promise of his goodness and the presence of his grace and he fills our soul in ways we can't describe unless you've done it. That's the invitation that we see this morning in the example of Mary. You think what she was about to do was easy or she had any idea that she, uh, any uh, disillusion that she thought it was gonna be easy? She knew what she was in for, and yet her soul exploded in joy. That only happens if you know God. I hope you cultivate that kind of relationship with him. We're so busy in our culture. We have so many demands upon our lives, don't we? Learn to carve out some of that time to develop your soul, and then lean into him, trust him, and say like Mary, I'm the Lord's servant. Be it done to me according to your word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your presence in our lives. And Lord, you were really honest with us. You told us that in this world, we're gonna have trouble. Um, and so protect us, Lord, from the lie that, that trouble equals somehow you don't love us anymore or you aren't as powerful as you really are. Uh, but God, help us to see it for what it is. Just one more reminder that this earth is temporal and we were created for something greater. We were created for you. We were created to serve you, to know you, to worship you. And, and it's a tragedy that, that our society so pulls on our time and our attention uh, that we don't cultivate what we need to in our soul. And so I just pray for everybody here that in this Advent season, they would fix their hope completely on you and they would grow deep and strong in the relationship with you. In Christ's name I pray, amen.